Hello, friends. This is the Sunday morning sermon for July 25th, the year 2021. I love to eat bread, pretty much any kind of bread. I've always been this way. I grew up in a bread family. In my blended family, there were six of us, four brothers. And my mother would always say, guys, start with two pieces of bread and do not get more until you make sure everyone has had their two. Often she baked 12 pieces of bread. Simple math told me I got two pieces. But I loved bread. <laughs> There's just something about it. It gives me this sense of being full, and I love that feeling. So sometimes I'd take a third piece of bread, and this rarely turned out well, you can imagine. My brothers were not sympathetic. You know, there, one of my brothers would ultimately reach for his second piece late in the meal to discover it was gone. I'd already eaten it, and he was not happy. I claimed ignorance. I claimed forgetfulness. I begged for mercy, but my parents made it really clear. It was their table. It was their house. We will provide bread, but don't be selfish. <laughs> In my parents' house, everyone was supposed to get bread. We're beginning five weeks on the sixth chapter of the book of John. And you might call this the bread chapter of the Bible. There's a lot of literal and metaphorical references to bread. And it starts with five loaves of barley. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all <clears throat> when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, "Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat and sat off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. This is God's word.
So this reading today is a story about territory. It's a story about dominion, a story about power, a story about dueling kingdoms. We get that clue in the very, very first verse. The Sea of Galilee has been renamed the Sea of Tiberias. That's no accident. Tiberius was the second Roman emperor who reigned from A.D. 14 to 37. He's the Caesar at the time of Jesus' ministry, his crucifixion, resurrection. They renamed the sea for him, and they named a town for him on the west side of the sea. For empires, names mean a lot. There's a reason why they would rename things. We see this all the way back in the story of Daniel. The Babylonians conquered Jerusalem the first time. This is not when they burned the temple. This is the first time they came through, around 603 B.C. They took the best and brightest at this point. And we read this in chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 6 and 7. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And, and you'll remember Lion's Den, Fiery Furnace, different stories from those guys. To name someone was an act of power. It was a signal of whose kingdom truly reigned. So if you believed Babylon reigned, you would call Daniel Belteshazzar. But if you believed Yahweh reigned, you'd call Daniel Daniel, because that's his name. When the Romans renamed the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias, they had this in mind, okay, that the kingdom of Rome was the prime kingdom. So consider Jesus' actions in this chapter in light of that. So Jesus attracted a large crowd of followers, and his message has resonated with them. The kingdom of Tiberias has not worked out for them, but this kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, they crave it. Verse 4 tells us that the Jewish Passover is near, but these crowds are not preparing for pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They are right where they want to be. As Passover looms, Jesus goes ahead and breaks bread, and he stages a, pa a type of Passover. A Passover at the margins for this group of followers who were disenchanted with the ways that the Roman Empire, the ways that the Jewish faith at this time were going, and they sought something pure, holier, more in line with God's intentions. So Jesus stages a type of Passover for them. Of course, no one saw this coming, no one except Jesus. He tested Philip by asking him where they could buy bread. Well, there's no way they can buy bread for a crowd this big. I mean, there's 5,000 men, and you get the women and children, well over 10,000 people probably. So they are scrambling. They have nothing. They find a boy who has five loaves of barley, two fish. <laughs> it's like sharing one bowl of chips and salsa with the entire crowd at a Predators game at Bridgestone Arena. It's a nice gesture, but it accomplished no practical good. Except it does. Jesus takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and distributes it. And you can see the symbol of this. This is communion, right? When Jesus takes bread, blesses it, and breaks it, that's a communion reference. It's a Passover reference. It's a Lord's Supper reference. And notice two huge things going on in this. First, someone shares. The young boy had five loaves and two fish. That's what he had packed up. Maybe his parents had packed it for him. It was all he had. And he gave all he had. He sacrificed. He does his part. He offers all that he has. And unless you, unless you think five loaves and two fish were, were a lot, 
Scripture makes certain you realize these were five small loaves and these were two small fish. <laughs> but he offers all he has, even though no one thinks it's enough. But it is enough. Why? Jesus does a miracle. And that's the second thing going on. We believe in a God who does miracles. But so often, God does miracles through people. Okay, so God's work and our work are not equal. This is not a meeting God halfway as if we each do 50%, as if we're both on the same level. Our work is not equal. And while our work is not equal, though, God's work and our work often coexist. Put it differently, God works through our work. So it's not as if we do nothing. We do something. It's not as much as what God does, and actually it's not in and of ourselves. It's God working through us. And it leaves us with this result. We need God to work in our world. We also need you to work in our world. We need God to work through you. And what's the result? Everyone has plenty to eat. Not only that, they have 12 baskets of food left over. And the number 12 is no accident. It invokes the idea of 12 tribes of Israel. This is a new Israel type of thing going on. It's a kingdom reference. But whose kingdom? It's not the kingdom of Tiberias. This is the kingdom of Jesus. The crowd sense this. They want to make him king by force, but it's not his time. And that's not how he does things anyway. The kingdom of Jesus is not coercive, but persuasive. Never forget that. As we join and seek to expand God's kingdom, we seek persuasion, not coercion. After this, the disciples get in a boat to cross the Sea of Tiberias. A strong wind blew. The waters got rough, and they see Jesus walking on the water, another miracle. And they become afraid. But Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. He then gets into their boat, and immediately they reach where they're going. Why does Jesus do this? What's going on? Why follow up the feeding of the 5,000 by walking on the water? In a sense, I think it's Jesus' way of spiking the football. It's his way of claiming his territory. For this isn't really the Sea of Tiberias. This is the Sea of Jesus. After all, God created it. And God has come back to claim it. Not only this sea, but this land. Not only this land, but this world. God has returned to begin the process of making all things new. Jesus has come to begin the movement of making things how they should be, how they were created to be. And the people had a choice. Did they want to be a part of the kingdom of Tiberias, the Roman way? The kingdom of Herod, the Jewish secular elite? The kingdom of the Pharisees, the hypocritical religious establishment? Did they want those kingdoms? I mean, we have similar choices today. And they are all dead ends. What choice have you made? Do you want to join the Jesus movement? Do you want to be part of the kingdom of God? The answer to that can go a lot of different directions and include a lot of spiritual themes that are all important and all relevant. But in the spirit of this story today, measure your answer by this. What are your five loaves and two fish? Have you given your five loaves and two fish? What have you given for God to use and usher in miracles to bring the kingdom? Because I want to be really upfront with you. We need your five loaves and two fish. Nashville needs it. The world needs it. 
our church exists to hand five loaves and two fish to Jesus so that the world can have a miracle. Now, if you've never heard the story of our church, let me share it with you as we contemplate the relationship between our church and your five loaves and two fish. The Ackland Avenue Church of Christ began in 1934. It split off from another congregation because they wanted to center ministry on one person. The elders of that church, though, split off to form Ackland because they believed ministry should be spread out and shared. It's a longer story. I'd love to tell you about it someday. But you can see that in the DNA of our church. We really try to have all hands on deck. Ministries really spread out. There's not like one or two central figures. Our church is always striven to have that ethos. In the 1950s, most everyone walked to Ackland. We had two services and reached our average attendance high of over 250. Then, white flight happened. Many left our church for bigger, fancier churches in the suburbs with more programs. But an imperfect but faithful remnant stayed out of love for simplicity, the neighborhood, and each other. And many of us would say that faithful remnant are our honorary parents and grandparents and are people that have changed our lives forever. And I can also tell you a lot more about them. That group loved to talk about the bus ministry of the 70s and all the kids that met Jesus through it. They loved to talk about the 80s and 90s when Ackland's main ministries were to college students and a healthcare facility across the street called Lakeshore, which was sponsored by Churches of Christ. A lot of neat ministry happened there. In the mid to late 1990s, the congregation got pretty small, and some members wondered if the church would close. It got down to like 30 or 40 people. Then a group of college students came and never left. And that group is not the majority of present-day Ackland, but they formed the core which God used to get us here. And some of you listening to this, some of you here today, part of that core. 2010, we hit a rough patch. Due to the Great Flood, we were out of the building for 11 months. And there were open discussions about whether or not to rebuild, and this led to considerable discernment and ultimately led to this decision. I was not there here at the time, but many have told me all these stories. The decision was this, Nashville needs a church at 900 Ackland Avenue. Nashville needs an outpost of the kingdom in this location, and certainly we're not the only outpost of the kingdom, but we don't have too many, right? We need another outpost of the kingdom, and we need one in this location, Location right at this strip where Wedgwood and Ackland split off. The church returned with a renewed heart for the city, and we've deeply invested in ministry. Here, ministry's flown out of our church, but also we've partnered with a lot of different groups over the years. Room in the Inn, Nations Ministry, Salome, Bridges for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, Open Table, United for Hope, and plenty of others that I'm forgetting. It's been hard, challenging at times, but we've been in a rich season of ministry. And at this point, we're coming out of a hard time due to the pandemic, which is not completely over, right? But we're kind of in this stage of it. I'm not one to make predictions based at this point, but we're at this stage of it. Many other cultural complexities that have gone on, but I'm more convinced than ever that God can and will do miracles through our five loaves and two fish. I'm more convinced than ever that God will work through our church. So the question is this, what are your five loaves and two fish, and how do they relate 
to Akron. And maybe think of it like this. I think there are kind of three different ways to conceptualize your answer. First, some of you give your five loaves and two fish out there, so to speak, out in the world, out in the community, out in your neighborhoods. You're involved in rich ministry out there. And maybe it's your job as a nurse or a school teacher or some other job. Uh, maybe it's, it's your volunteerism, it's your relationships with your neighbors, your family. Um, but your ministry is very much out there, and you meet with us for spiritual fuel to equip you for that ministry. And you don't have a lot of time to invest in our ministries here because you're working out there, and you really need Ackland for spiritual fuel for what you're doing out there. Second category is some of you give your five loaves and two fish here. You teach classes here, you chaperone youth trips, you go to church camp, you make coffee, you clean toilets, you wash laundry from room to the end, you make communion bread. Your ministry's here for this church body and for all that, that walk in those doors. And this is kind of the epicenter of your ministry. And then third, and this may be the majority of you, some of you have a little bit of both going on. I mean, your five loaves and two fish show up here, you're involved some in our ministries here, but also you've got a lot going on out there. And so there are seasons when you're really involved in our ministries, but then there are seasons where you're like, man, God's using me so much out there. I really don't have time to teach class or help fix that broken light fixture or whatever it is. It's like, because you're doing so much out there and you're kind of coming in for the spiritual fuel and then you're going out to work. I think those are the three categories, the ministry out there, the ministry at Ackland, and then kind of the hybrid. There's no right or wrong answer, but... I'd like you to think about what your answer is to that question. Which one of those three categories best describes you? I don't care what your answer is, but I do care that you're sacrificing your loaves and fish for the sake of others. Because the world is hungry. The world is hungry for bread. And that invokes all the meanings of bread. <laughs> Physical, emotional, spiritual, social. The world needs bread, and we need to share bread. And we get busy, we get scared, we get distracted. Sometimes we forget to share our five loaves and two fish. But just like my parents' table back when I was a kid, taking my brother's bread, not sharing, our spiritual parent demands that we share. We may claim ignorance, we may claim forgetfulness, we may beg for mercy, but our spiritual parent makes it really clear. This is Jesus' land. This is Jesus' territory. This is Jesus' house. This is Jesus' table. And in Jesus' house, everyone gets bread. So church family, God gives us bread so that we can give bread to others. This is the kingdom of God. And may we enter into that kingdom.